Romans chapter 8, let's begin at verse 31, shall we? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Somebody ought to just say hallelujah for that. Now, Lord, once again, as I stand before you and before this congregation, I ask for that anointing that makes preaching easy and powerful. And I ask that you will open our hearts that we may hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. Touch me today, O oh Lord. Make up for all of my inadequacies so that your people may be encouraged and may be transformed by the entrance of your word. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. Lord, I pray a special blessing upon this congregation that Betsy and I were privileged to be with last night. Today is their big day of celebration, so put a special blessing upon them today, I ask. I lift up our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I particularly pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. Draw them back to you, O oh Lord. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray all of these things today in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I'm told one of the fastest growing sectors in the country is the security industry. We build walls and fences, place special locks on our doors, and install sophisticated monitoring equipment so we will be secure at home. We take self-defense classes, purchase pepper spray and mace, and get concealed carry permits for our handguns so we can protect ourselves from predators. We purchase safes for our homes and rent safety deposit boxes at the bank in order to keep our valuables secure. We carefully watch our investments and diversify our funds, protecting our money so that it will not only increase, but will also be there to secure our 
retirement years. Ever since the tragedy of 9-11, boarding an airplane is always a hassle and sometimes a nightmare as we try to navigate the protocols to try and keep us secure as we travel. During this series of messages I've been bringing on Sunday mornings, I've been talking about evaluating the quality of our lives. Talked about how it is important to re-examine what we believe so that we come to a place where our belief is in alignment with what God says in His Word. Each week I've reminded you that your belief determines your behavior. If you think right, then you will act right because your actions won't go contrary to your beliefs for very long. Somewhere that dissonance is going to have to line back up. One of the ways we measure the quality of our lives is by our sense of security. The problem is that even though we spend all the time and energy and resources trying to make ourselves secure, too often we have locked ourselves in at night with our security lights on and our valuables in the vault and the handgun under the pillow and the big dog on the porch. <clears throat> but on the inside, we're still shaking. The reason we don't feel secure in spite of all the precautions we take is because we've missed seeing this issue from God's perspective. You know, a number of years ago, the safest place to keep money was in the savings and loan institutions. Anybody remember that? Any old, okay. People who were relying on their money for security put their hard-earned dollars in those institutions. But then came failure after failure of the banking industry, and the false security people had placed in those institutions was shattered. Even a government bailout couldn't restore all that some people had lost. I'm aware of a lady who put her confidence for security in a relationship. The man in her life was her provider. He was the one who looked after her. Everything was wonderful in the arrangement until the day he walked out. Suddenly, her security was destroyed. Now, she's fearful about how she's going to make it. She's afraid for her children. She's afraid of getting into another relationship. But at the same time, she's afraid not to have a man in her life because that's the way she's always thought she could have security. Today, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring us to the place where we really understand and fully embrace this truth. The key to experiencing security in your life is to depend on things that are eternal, not temporal. Now, I don't intend to preach very long today. Of course, come to think of it, I don't ever intend to preach very long. <laughs> Just always seems to happen that way. But in this message, I want to give you three eternal truths that will serve as security anchors for your soul. When you get a handle on these three enduring things, you can live life with a boldness and confidence without fear or intimidation. If you're looking for something to depend upon that is eternal, the first security anchor for your soul I would point you to is the Word of God. The world in which we live proclaims there's no such thing as absolute truth. In our culture, truth is shifting. Truth is situational. What is true in one case isn't necessarily deemed to be true in another. Truth in our culture is personal. What is true for you may not be true for me. Everybody has his or her own truth. 
It's no wonder we don't feel secure because the rules keep changing. You know, what used to be wrong is now right, and what used to be right is now wrong. What used to be condemned as sin is now protected, endorsed, and celebrated. With no certain foundation, we're on shaky ground. With no certain boundaries, we're afraid to move. We've been told believing in absolute truth is a mark of intolerance. We've been told if we believe in absolute truth, we are narrow-minded. Those who believe in absolute truth are subjected to ridicule, mockery, and even persecution. We live in a culture that is chosen to ignore the Almighty. But in this climate, they have forgotten there is still a God in heaven. And he has a book. And it isn't just a book of historical interest. It's a book of living truth. It's a book of absolute truth. It's a book of eternal truth. It's the word of God. According to Hebrews 4 and 12, this word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This book of living, absolute, eternal truth is the standard by which every person is going to be judged at the end of the age. If you want to find a security anchor, you'll find it when you look into the Word of God. The anchor of God's Word, I would tell you, is eternal. That's the affirmation of Psalm 119 and 89. Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. That's the meaning of the prophet's message in Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. That's the message of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Not only is the word of God eternal, the word of God is entirely trustworthy. This is the proclamation that was made by King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. Blessed be the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promises, which he promised through Moses, his servant. This is what the Lord spoke through the prophet in Ezekiel 12 and 25. For I, the Lord, shall speak, and whatever word I speak will be performed. It will no longer be delayed, for in your days, O rebellious house, I shall speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. The word of the Lord is an eternal word. It is a trustworthy word. If you're looking for security, listen to the promise God makes to you in his eternal, trustworthy word. First of all, he gives a promise of safety. That's what the psalmist was talking about in Psalm 4 and 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. That's what he was singing about in Psalm 18, verses 2 and 3. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. That's the message of Nahum 1 and 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. See, he promises safety, but he also promises support. He promises to give you an ability to keep going and to make it regardless of the adversity that comes your way. That's why the psalmist sings in Psalm 55 and 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. That's the promise the Lord makes through the prophet in Isaiah 41 and 10. 
do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's safety, there's support. Then he also gives the promise of solace. That's what the Lord is saying in Isaiah 66 and 13. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. That's the message of, of Isaiah 61, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to pri prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting so they will be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified I'm telling you that's God's promise to you given in his word that cannot lie neither can it fail his promise of safety support and solace that's your security you can anchor your soul in his word it will remain secure throughout all eternity I think we ought to just pause a moment and give thanks to God for his word today amen Not only is the word of God an anchor that gives security, but so is the work of Christ. There's a slogan you see a lot of places that says, no fear. Now, occasionally I'll, I'll see someone wearing a t-shirt and plastered on the front of it are the words, no fear. It's on bumper stickers, baseball caps, even in television commercials, no fear. The world has developed it as a marketing slogan, but they don't really have the resources to keep them from being afraid. At the same time, the Christian community has the resource to eliminate fear from their lives, but too many times they're stressed out and anxious and intimidated. Now, y'all just fasten your seatbelts for a second because I'm... I'm about to get close to where we live. See, one of the worst witnesses for Jesus is whiny Christians. We have believers who are whining about how tough it is to live for Jesus. They're whining about how demanding it is to serve Jesus. They're whining about the commitment it takes and the spiritual battles they fight and the temptations they face and the ridicule they endure. We have believers who spend most of their time worrying. You just as well to say amen. You know I'm preaching truth right there. They worry about their children being able to make it in a pagan world. They worry about whether they're reading the correct translation of the Bible. They worry about dealing with the baggage left over from their former sinful life. They worry about how many of the people in high governmental positions are members of a giant conspiracy against the American people. Just don't let that sit there for a minute. Some of y'all guilty. They worry about the tribulation period and the Antichrist 
and the mark of the beast and the prophetic significance of blood moons. They worry about a virus and they worry about a vaccine and they worry about masks and they worry about more conspiracy theories than you can shake a stick at. And I'll be honest with you, there are times I just want to go up to them, look them dead in the eye, grab them by the shoulders, get in their face and say loudly and distinctly, no fear. Listen, the reason we have the kind of fear we have and the reason we don't have the kind of security we would like is because we really don't understand the work of Christ on the cross. See, one of the very first things Jesus says when he comes to your life is, fear not. And the reason he can say that to you with such authority is because of the work he accomplished on the cross. It was at the cross the centurion soldier looked into the face of a dying Christ and said, truly this was a righteous man. At the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in half from top to bottom, and a new order was instituted. At the cross, the earth was shaken, graves were open, saints were resurrected from the dead and were seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. At the cross, the final payment for the sin of the entire world was made. At the cross, we were redeemed. At the cross, we were sanctified. At the cross, we were justified. At the cross, we were reconciled back into a right relationship with the Heavenly Father. The Apostle Paul gives a very vivid picture of the completed work of the cross when he writes in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. 1 John 3 and 8 testifies, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's important for you to understand the work of Christ on the cross because it is his accomplished, completed work that gives you an eternal anchor of security. His completed work on the cross gives you the security of eternal life. That's the meaning of John 1 and 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That's the significance of the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give, watch this, I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand that's what it means when paul writes in ephesians 1 and 13 that we have been sealed in him with the holy spirit of promise that's what he's talking about in our text you thought i forgot all about my text that's what it means here in romans 8 when he asks 
who shall separate us from the love of Christ. He's talking about security. No matter how bad things may get on the outside, we're secure. No matter how viciously the devil rages, we're secure. No matter how boisterously the winds of adversity blow, we're secure. The outer man may be decaying, oh, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. I tell you, we're not going down the tubes, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. Praise be to God. If, you, if you're looking for real security, it's right here in our text. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you grab a hold of that? Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I'm talking about your security today. You still got your seatbelts fastened? When the Democrats are in the White House, no fear. When the Republicans are in the White House, no fear. When the economic system collapses, no fear. When the school system goes to the dogs, no fear. When the prognosis is bad, no fear. When the disasters blow in and the confidence unravels, no fear. When the devil launches a full-scale assault against the church, no fear. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. Jesus has ascended. Jesus is in us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We are in him. He is our security in this life and the next. No fear. The completed work of Christ gives the security of eternal life. It also gives the security of his abiding presence. That's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 28 and 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I know, it's true that things are sometimes bleak. It's true that life is sometimes hard. Can I get a witness from anybody that says that's true? Sure, there are all kinds of forces arrayed against the child of God, trying to create anxiety, worry, frustration, and panic. Sure. There is already a spirit of antichrist in the world, and the things of God and the people of God are under attack. What's new? In the face of this stark reality, the secure believer has no fear because 1 John 4, 4 is still true. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The words of Jesus in John 16 and 35 or 33 are still true. These things I have spoken to you that in me you have made peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Didn't we sing it? He's never lost a battle. He's never lost a battle. He's never lost a battle. I know he never will. No fear. No fear. No fear. There's the word of God. There's the work of Christ. There's a third anchor I want to tell you about, and I've messed up. I've already preached too long, so here we go. 
I call it the wealth of our eternal inheritance. I told you I don't intend to, but it just sort of happens that way. The wealth of our eternal inheritance. I'm not going to dwell here very long because I sense the spirit of the Lord causing faith to rise, bringing us to a place of prayer. I just would tell you the wealth of our eternal inheritance is those treasures we are laying up in heaven. I'm talking about your security, those things that moth and rust can't destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. The wealth of our eternal inheritance is what Jesus is talking about in John 14 when he talks about going to the Father's house to prepare a place for us so we can dwell eternally with him. The wealth of our eternal inheritance is the new Jerusalem. See, just as believers in Jesus are going to be bodily resurrected, even so this earth is going to be cleansed and reformed and refurbished. You know, too many people have got this idea, well, you know, we're going to heaven, and heaven is somewhere out in the far-off starry skies, and, you know, we're just, they've got this, this crazy idea that heaven is, we're disembodied spirits, and we're going to be floating around on fluffy white clouds, twanging on harps, singing Zephyr-like songs. Some people have this idea that heaven is going to be one eternal worship service. I got to tell you, I love church, but I don't want to spend all of my time in church. Come on, get real. You don't either. That's why when we dismiss, you head for the exits. I'm, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night, okay? So. <laughs> But that is not what heaven is. Oh, no. Heaven is coming down to earth. Earth and heaven will be united. If you want to have a, a, an inkling of what heaven is going to be like, you need to read the first couple of chapters of Genesis. Because everything that gets created in Genesis and then the fall messes it all up. By the last two chapters of the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, the first two chapters all get restored. Heaven comes down. What, didn't John say, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And it's coming to a refurbished, re a resurrected, if you will, earth. Because if God says, oh, I'm sorry, this is getting bigger. I, I, I'm trying to shut down because if we need, if God says that our body is going to be resurrected, isn't that what he said? He said our body is going to be resurrected just like Jesus' body. You know, when Jesus was resurrected, you could touch him. You know, he ate. Do you remember that? He even had, had scars from where they had crucified him. It was a bodily resurrection. And Paul says, we will be resurrected bodily. So you're going to look like you. I've asked for a new improved version. You know, I don't know how that's going to work. And we'll know each other. And we're going to have work to do. 
but it's not going to be laborious. See, right now, work got messed up. Do you know that Adam had work before the fall? And it was glorious work, and it, and it was enjoyable work. Have you ever done something that was like, man, I just so, so enjoy doing this, but then I get, I get tired, and I get sore, and I, you know, well, I won't have to worry about the fall part, but I'll be able to enjoy the work part that the Lord gives me. I'll be able to sit and do those things. I'll be able to stand. I'll be able to run. I'll be able to walk. I'll be able to fellowship with you. You know, there are some people that I want to be around, and it's like we never have enough time. We, 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 we talk and we talk and then, you know, time gets, us, gets away from us and, and we have to go our separate ways. Well, there, I won't have to worry about running out of time. I'll get to see people. I'll get to, I'll get to, I'll get to be with family members and enjoy their presence. I'll get to be with people that I haven't met before but I really want to meet. People from all the ages. I, I mean, I'll get to... I get to sit and talk theology with Paul. Can you imagine what that would be like? And, and oh, that, that's the wealth of our eternal inheritance. And, and nobody will ever be able to take me away from that in his eternal presence. It will be, it will be so glorious. Oh, yeah, there will be worship. There will be times of praise. We'll sing. I mean, there's singing going on. I'd be disappointed if there wasn't because I really like to sing. Y'all hadn't figured that out yet, but I, I, so I just thought I'd tell you about that. And there, there, there will be music grander than anything we've ever heard. There will, be, there will be beauty, there will be colors that we haven't even imagined. Oh, don't you want to go? If we really understood what it was like, it's not this ethereal, disembodied, ghost-like existence. No. I'm convinced there's going to be food in heaven. Good food. Home-cooking southern food. I won't have to worry about eating fried chicken there. Collard greens. Black-eyed peas. Oh, I got to quit because we're getting hungry now. <laughs> Y'all be ready to hit the restaurant now. I'm telling you. It, it's, and, and we won't have to worry about the calories. All of the wonderful things that exist in this world now will be even more wonderful and heightened with none of the adverse side effects. See, when, when we are in, the, when heaven comes down to earth and we are in that celestial place, everything that is good and lovely and wholesome on this earth, you're going to be able to enjoy in an even greater measure than you've ever dreamed. No matter how splendid are some of the sights on this present earth, we've never seen them without the contamination of sin. But in the new earth, all the corruption and contamination is going to be removed. Every vista will shine with radiant, glorious splendor, unlike anything you can imagine. 
Every joy you've ever longed for will be realized. Every dream of what is good and lovely and satisfying will be fulfilled. And you, in your glorified body, will be able to enjoy learning and discovering and exploring all the intricacies of this new earth without any limitation for all eternity. You'll enjoy fellowship with friends and loved ones. The most ordinary moment on the new earth will be greater than the most perfect moments in this life life. That's your security as a child of God today. This life is not the end of it all. There is more, so much more yet to come. And When you get to that eternal city, you'll never have to be worried about losing it or about being cast away. You'll enjoy it forever and ever. What the Lord wants to do for you is take away the anxiety and the fear. He wants to negate the worry that plagues your mind as a result of the lies of the enemy that have been spoken over you. He wants to replace all of that with a security that is founded upon the eternal promise you have in him. You have an eternal anchor for the soul today, an anchor of security in the word of God, in the work of Christ, and in the wealth of your eternal inheritance.